all of that said, why don't we go ahead and jump into Gracebook. We are starting week three, so if you've got your your study guide, go ahead and turn to week three. But before we get to week three, I figured it'd be a good idea to uh, do a quick review so you guys kind of know where we are and where we've been. Real quickly, one of the first things that we talked about in the series was how to get a grip on the book of Ephesians. And through that, I basically just gave you five things that you should be doing if you really want to get the most out of this study. First thing is you need to read Ephesians. Obviously, if we're studying Ephesians, it'd be good for you to read it. Um, Helpful, at least. And so the one thing that I'm suggesting is to try to read through the book of Ephesians at least at least once during a week and then also do the weekly reading, which is only going to be a few chap or for few verses. And so um, go ahead and read through Ephesians, memorize Ephesians, you know, pick a couple of a couple of verses that speak to you every week and just spend some time and read that Uh, study Ephesians. And that's kind of why I gave you places to put your personal observances in the study guide so that as you're studying it as you're looking through it as you're asking questions of scripture you have a way to capture it so study Ephesians meditate on Ephesians as you're going along driving in the car you know showering shaving whatever you might be doing you know just spend time let if you're reading it this much and you're you're spending time memorizing it, just take time and let it sink into you you know wherever you're going just Maybe rehearse some of the stuff that you've heard or that that you've you've studied and just let it sink into you because, again, that's going to it's going to help you as we go through it. And then finally, hear Ephesians. And the best place to hear Ephesians would be come here on Sunday nights as we're going through the study. Um, You'll get to hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that's kind of what we're going to do for the next few weeks, at least. Also, as we've been going through it, we've learned a little bit about Paul. Here's our buddy Paul. Uh, What we know about Paul is that he was a Roman by by his geography. He was born in, in a town called Tarsus, which made him a Roman citizen. He also was a Jew. And so he... He has the uniquely Jewish perspective, but he also was a Roman citizen, which helped him out a lot. And uh, one of the important things is he used to persecute the church, but it has become one of the church's greatest advocates at the time of the writing of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we also learned a little bit about Ephesus. Probably the some of the important things to remember about Ephesus was that there was you know, this major stuff going on there. It was uh, the hub of Asia Minor is the largest city in Asia Minor. Paul lived there. Timothy lived there. John the Beloved lived there. Mary the mother of Jesus lived there. And Luke lived there. The last three were believed to have died in, in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, we, I know for certain there's the tomb of John and the tomb of Luke that are in um, Ephesus. And then we also looked at why and when the book of Ephesians was written. Uh, We know that it was written around 60 A.D., that it was written while Paul was in Rome as a prisoner. He was being uh, tried for basically proclaiming the gospel. And really the reason why it was written was to encourage believers. Unlike most of other books by Paul, um, where Paul is correcting behavior or saying basically you're not doing this right or I've heard that you're teaching these things and that's not right. That's not what's going on in Ephesians. Ephesians is just to encourage and strengthen the church. He's not saying you're doing this wrong or you're doing that wrong. He's just saying, you know, 
I want to help you understand faith. I want you to help you understand what it is to walk in grace and how to live that out. And so that's that's the whole reason why Ephesians was written. And that's kind of why I chose it as our first book, because it really gives us a groundwork of what it is to walk out faith. Plus, it was a shorter book, so I figured we could get our, get our feet wet with a shorter book and then see how we like it and maybe go on to something like, you know, Psalms or something. <laughs> I think we'll reserve Psalms for a much later date. And that's a, that'll take a while to go through. But anyway, so that's why we're doing Ephesians, because I think it's a really good book. It touches some very strong themes and helps us to better understand our faith. So last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Basically, we dealt with some heavy subjects like election and what it is to be elect by God. Uh, We studied about praising God for his grace and that as we look at the whole idea of what it is to be elect, how we were we were chosen by God. And that that fact alone should just fill our hearts with praise that God chose us. You know, there's you know, I don't know about you, but I wasn't chosen for a lot of things growing up. You know, if, if we were choosing sides in, you know, a game of kickball or something at recess, I was the last person chosen every time. Well, it was me and this other guy, you know. And so it, it basically the cool part is to know that God chose us, and that should fill us with some excitement. And then finally we began to look at the whole idea of God's mysterious plan, that there's a plan that God created that from the beginning of time was in a, to a point hidden, but at the same time he hid it in plain view. He, he took the Jews and he said, you are my special people. But in the midst of that, he said, through you, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations would be blessed. And Christ becomes the fulfillment of that mysterious plan. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the coming chapters as well. But if you want to understand these things better, like I said, we're on iTunes now. So uh, go ahead. That sermon is online, and you can check it out if you would like to. This week, we're going to go ahead and look at the last few verses in chapter 1. And we'll be reading... Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The words are going to be up there. They'll be in your study guide, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along in that. But in any case, we'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, and this is how it reads. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with the light so that you can understand the confident hope we have he has given to those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance i also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of god's power for us who believe in him this is the same power that raised christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at god's right hand in the heavenly realms Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. 
not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we just come to you and we ask that you reveal yourself to us tonight. That as we look at your word, as we are intentional about looking at every single word, every single verse in this great book, that that you would illuminate these things to our hearts. That as we study what it is to be people of grace, what it is to be captured by your grace and transformed by your grace, that, that you would do just that. That we would be captured by you. That we would be transformed by you. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is who you are and what you're doing in our lives. So tonight we just submit to you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. That your word would be brought to light. That as we study this thing, that that you would illuminate this word to our hearts and our minds so that we can once again come to you afresh and anew with excitement about what you have to say in your word. Jesus, I praise you, I honor you, I lift you up. Be glorified here tonight. We pray all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. As we look here at the first few verses... The thing I want you to see, first of all, is what is, what is happening in this first passage, first part of the passage, because it's an, it's an exciting thing. What we have here in the first few verses are Paul's pastoral prayer. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you think the number one thing people pray for is? What kind of things come to your mind? Pray for wisdom, okay? Strength, safety, health, guidance. I think one I hear often is, God, help me with this test. (laughs) I didn't study, but God, just let those words just miraculously get in there. Let me know the answers, you know? I mean, there's... There's all sorts of prayers that get prayed. There's all sorts of things that get lifted up. And, you know, if, I don't know about you, but if I were to meet somebody who I thought was a spiritual giant, who I, you know, like a Billy Graham, or somebody who just, who you look at them and you know they have a relationship with God, I would, I would want to hear their prayers. I would want to kind of get alongside, pretend like I'm not even in the room, and listen to their prayers. Because the thing that you know is that people who are close to God are there because they're people who pray. That, that's how you get into a relationship with God. That's how you strengthen your relationship with God, is to spend time one-on-one with Him. And so what we have here in these first few verses that we're going to look at is Paul's prayer. It's a chance for us to sit in the room and listen as Paul prays a pastoral prayer over this church. 
And so I, I want us to look at what kind of things that he's praying for them. Because, again, I think it's going to help us to understand what kind of things we should be praying for ourselves and also to a point how we should be praying for others as well. Because, again, you know, there's a whole lot of things we can pray. There's a whole lot of things that get prayed. But we should really strive and desire to see our prayers be effective and that in part in doing that is to model our prayers after the prayers we see in the Bible. So here we have the first part there. Um, it's let me just read it to you again we're starting in the second half of verse 16 he says i pray for you constantly i just want to stop there for a second i pray for you constantly paul's saying you know i'm not there i don't have a chance to be with you but i'm praying for you all the time that's an important thing i think just to stop on for a second and then he goes on, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. So the first thing that I see, I've highlighted a couple of words here. He, he's saying, I pray that you will have spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. So the first thing I see Paul praying here is for the knowledge of God, that we would, that the people in Ephesus would know God better. Now, the question I'd ask is, why? Why do you think that was a part of his prayer for the Ephesians? I mean, let me jump back and say this. He's talking to a church. He's talking to people who know Jesus Christ already, most of them at least. Why would he pray that they would have the knowledge of God? Why do you think that's important? If we've ever been in a time where knowledge is just king, we're in that time. I mean, it doesn't matter what you need to know about, you can find out about it in a split second. I, I'm a knowledge junkie. I mean, I just, I love knowledge and I'm a dangerous thing because I'm on my phone. I've got the ability just to jump online. If a question comes to my head, jump online, do a little research right there on my phone. And I'm, you know, it doesn't matter how trivial it is or how deep it is. I'm like, I'm constantly trying to find more knowledge, but all of that knowledge is great. But if it's not knowledge of God, how, how deep is that? How, I mean, sure, it enriches my life to a point. But the truth is, as we look at this whole idea of the knowledge of God, you know, we go searching after knowledge, but yet we don't take time to turn to the person who created all knowledge. We spend time poring over news clippings and poring over recent events. But so often we fail to take time to look to the person who has all of time in his hands who sees the beginning from the sees the end from the beginning but knowledge of god is important knowledge of god is deeper and wider than just knowing that you know i don't know manny pacquiao has won more 
titles as a boxer than any other in in any other class weight class divisions. I mean, that's that's a cool thing to know. But how much is my life really going to be enriched by that knowledge? But yet, the more I know of God, the greater my knowledge of him changes who I am. Personal knowledge of Christ will change your life. The more you know him, the more you understand him, the deeper that relationship, the more you are changed. And that's why I believe Paul was saying, I'm praying that you would have greater spiritual wisdom, greater insight, so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. Second thing I see stand out here, verse 18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are rich, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Again, highlighted a few things here. He's filled, or he's praying that their hearts would be flooded with light that they could understand the confident hope again what I what I see him praying for these people is that they would understand hope so let me ask the question again why would he pray that why would he pray that they would understand hope maybe I should ask this what is hope Something you can't see, but you trust is going to happen, yeah. Hope and faith kind of, they work together. I guess just a, I mean, kind of, I think Marty hit it pretty well on the head that hope is, is having a belief in something even if the evidence of it isn't there. You know, we, we hope in God, but... You know, if I were to ask you guys how many of you have ever seen God, you know, if any of you raise your hand, I want to talk with you because, you know, you know, God God does reveal himself to people at, at different times in different ways, but most of us wouldn't have that personal kind of encounter. But we 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 have a hope in him. You know, there's in the Assemblies of God, one of our cardinal doctrines is you know our blessed hope which is the fact that there's a day coming when Christ will return for his church and we will spend eternity with him in heaven and that that's something we're hoping for that's something that we are we're longing for but it's something none of us have ever seen and so what what hope does why i believe Paul is praying that these people would understand hope is that hope gives you endurance. It gives you the ability to endure some of the most painful things because you know that there's something that's good that's coming out of it. Now, I'm speaking a little bit out of, um, not out of first-hand knowledge, in, but 
I can only imagine, I, I've been alongside my wife when this was going on, but childbirth has some, some element of that because you're sitting there and you, you're going through a lot of pain, but there's the hope of what's coming out of that pain. That, you know, there, there's birth, there's something, there's something that's going to be different because you endured that pain. You know, and, and hope is, is that thing. It's that knowledge that there, there's something on the other side. You know, what we know about church history is that within a few years, Paul would be martyred. That the entire Christian world would go into upheaval. That the Christians would be radically persecuted. About 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, will come through Jerusalem and totally destroy Jerusalem to the point where Jesus' prophecy will come true where he says, not one brick will be left on top of itself in the temple. That really happened because what happened was they burned the temple and then the gold that was in the temple started to ooze through the bricks. So the Roman soldiers were literally ripping up every brick of the temple to scrape off the gold. There was just this massive, massive, massive persecution that went on for hundreds of years. So it was almost like through the Holy Spirit, Paul was telling them, I want you to have hope because there's coming a time when hope will be necessary. And the amazing thing is the church survived that terrible persecution for hundreds of years. There was just a terrible, terrible persecution, and the church survived it, I think in large part because they had a hope. There's something that's coming. This is going to be worth it. There's going to, I know this feels terrible right now, but there's something ahead. We're going to see something soon. So he wanted them to understand hope. And then he had one other thing that I see in that passage, verses 19 and 20. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Again, I highlighted a few verses here for you. He said, you know, I want you to understand the greatness of God's power, that the same mighty power raised Christ and seated him in a place of honor. So he's saying, I want you to understand God's power. Why do you think that would be important? Why do you think it would be important to understand God's power? Right, right. Well, yeah, and that's just it. He says that Jesus said that the things that I do, you're going to do. And even greater things because I'm going to the Father. If we don't understand his power, how can we walk in it? How can we appropriate it? How can we live it out? I mean, look at what God's power did. I mean, the two things that he says it did right here is it raised Christ from the dead. And that, that power is the same power that seated him in a place of honor. 
What would happen if we began to understand that kind of power, if we began to appropriate that kind of power, if we began to put that kind of power into practice in our lives? All of a sudden, we begin to look a little bit more like Jesus wanted us to look. You know, if we, if we were made in his image, if we begin to understand his power, all of a sudden, we begin to reflect that image a little bit better. And so, you know, we need to understand God is powerful. He has made, and the awesome thing about that is, he has made his power available to us. I mean, I don't got a lot of really big, powerful friends. I mean, I just, you know, I just don't. I mean, I'm trying to go through my bank, like, who do I know that's really important? You know, and I just, I, I don't have a lot of really big friends. My dad, on the other hand, like, he knows all of these crazy people. Like, you know, one guy owns almost the entire roofing industry in the United States. And he's got friends who are, you know, pastors of mega churches and all this crazy stuff. And it's like, man, these, these, are, these are people with power. You know, it's like, if you know them, you could probably get a few extra things done that you couldn't get done before. But at the end of the day... It doesn't really matter if I know Bill Gates or, you know, Billy Graham or President Obama. You know, if I've got God on my side, who else do I really need? Now, God may put these other people in my life as a way to further his kingdom. But then, but all that really matters is that I got God in my corner. Right. That's right. Exactly. If God is for us, who can be against us? If I've got God in my corner cheering me on... You know, all those other people are cool, but all that really matters. Because at the end of the day, if you got everybody else in your corner and you don't got God in your corner, that's why, right, we, we have got to let God be the one that we're trying to please. Because, again, if we understand his power, we understand we lack nothing. We lack no thing if we... begin to understand the power of God and how he wants to use it in our lives. So from that jumping point, Paul goes a little bit off of his prayer and begins just to talk about Christ's authority. So let's read that. This is verses 21 through 23. It says, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with his fullness. And a few highlights there. He's far above. Not just that he's above. He's far above any other ruler, any other authority. It doesn't matter what we're facing in life. It doesn't matter whose authority. If we got God's authority, then we have all that we need. And then all things are under that authority. All things are for the benefit of the church. It is Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. One thing that you need to note when you're doing this study, anytime you look in the Bible and you're in a short 
passage and you see something repeated over and over and over again, they're trying to make a point. All things, all things, all things. Just real quick, you know, you know how I like Greek words and that Greek words. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> getting too excited, waking up the baby. <laughs> you know how I like Greek words. The, the Greek word for all has this very unique meaning. It means all. I know it's profound, it's deep. But he's saying all. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. It is Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. He's trying to get it into our head. Christ has it all. He has all authority. He has all power. He has all ability. He fills everything. Right. Right. All things. All things. So just from this little passage, I want to show you three things that we see about Christ's authority. First of all, Jesus is higher than all other authorities. All other authorities. I, I love the phrase there. It says not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He's higher than any authority that we're going to face here. And he's going to be the ultimate authority when we come into the next kingdom. He's over it all. That, that, that's exciting. That, that, should, that should fill our hearts with praise, that we have a God who's over all things. The other thing we see about Christ's authority is that the authority of Christ is for the benefit of the church. I don't know if you ever recognized that before. I, as, as I was studying and putting this together, that leapt off the page to me. That the authority of Christ, it says there in verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. In other words, Christ's authority is there for our benefit. You know, sometimes... When we look at God and we, we have this overbearing ruler mentality that he's just this mean God who just likes to squash people who are about to do bad and that, you know. But right here it's saying Jesus was made authority over us for our benefit. Not to lord it over us. Not, not to sit there and squash us every time we do something bad. You know, or to make our toes get ingrown if we happen to sin or something weird like that. He said he has placed him in this place of authority for our benefit. The lordship of Christ is there so that we can benefit from it. That means there's something to obtain there. There's something that if if we will allow God to be God, if we will place ourselves under that authority, we will begin to see benefits that we would not otherwise see if we try to do things our, our own way. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, most of you guys are beyond the, you know, the teenage stage of, you know, being in high school relationships. I'll just put it that way. I was a, I was a youth pastor, and probably one of the funnest, most frustrating parts of my job was the relationships. You know, and you just get, 
you know, the, these two 13-year-olds who believe they were destined for each other and that, you know, they're going to live the rest of their lives together and all this stuff, and, well, that's great, you know. I always, as a youth pastor, made this challenge and put it before my students that what if God has somebody for you? What if, rather than just sitting back and trying to plan out your destiny and, and, and you know, going to all these dates to try to meet the one, what if God had that one in, in mind and that you didn't have to go through all this energy? You could just trust him. In other words, put your life under his authority. See, the problem with that is we, we think that if we give God that area, if we put that area under his authority, then he's going to do one of two things. Either he's going to tell you you're going to be single for the rest of your life <laughs> and, and then send you to, you know, go minister to the penguins or something weird like that. Or secondly, and even worse, he's going to make you marry the beast. <laughs> that, that one Christian in, in your church that, you know, nobody would ever marry unless God made them, you know, and, you know every morning you're waking up going, <laughs> but we think God is trying to trick us with, with that thing and the thing I, I try to drill in them over and over and over and over and over again God loves you he knows you better than you know yourself he, know, he put those desires in you for a reason and if we can place that desire under the authority of Christ He's going to bring the right person at the right time without us having to beat our head against the wall. Yeah, and that's, that's just the plain, and that, that's just a small example. It's one that I think all of us can in some way relate with because, you know, I was a teenager once and I remember what it was like for me, you know, and it's just, but when, as we get older, we get different things that we try to hold on to, we, our careers or our, our possessions or different things like that. But we need to begin to just put those things under the authority of Christ. And as we do that, we recognize that under his authority, he will bring all things together to benefit us. That that's part of the purpose there. And the last thing that we see about Christ's authority is that in Christ's authority, the church is made complete by Christ. Verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. So, you know, if we look at that, if, if we just allow Christ to have authority, he takes care of everything else. Now, we still have to do our part. God still expects us to meet him there. But if we meet him there and we place things under his authority, it says he fills it all. He takes care of it all. He completes it all. He has a higher authority than all other authorities. The authority of Christ benefits the church, and the church is made complete by Christ. That's, that's an amazing thing to understand. So, as we wrap it up, just want to bring back to you a couple of things. First of all, in Paul's pastoral prayer, that we, need to, we need to be praying for ourselves for the knowledge of God, and we also need to be praying for others for the knowledge of God. We need to pray that we could understand hope, and we need to pray that others would understand hope. We need to pray to be able to understand God's power, and that others could understand God's power. 
And finally, we just we need to have a better understanding of Christ's authority and an ability to walk in it. That we would be willing just to place all of our life into his hands because we we would recognize that if if he's given the ability to have the authority in our lives, then he's going to work it out for our benefit. It's just that simple. So with that, I'd like to pray for us. Actually, I think we got a few minutes. Um, before I pray, uh, most of you weren't here last week, so you didn't get this heads up. So um, I'll give you the heads up again today. Uh, one of the things I'd like to do, as you guys are filling out your uh, study guides, if something speaks to you, write it down. And I'd like to give you guys an opportunity to share on that. That if, if as you were reading this week's reading, something just like stood out to you, that you'd like to share with everyone, I want to give you that opportunity because, as I said last week, I, I don't want to just be a talking head up here that, you know, I have all the answers and that God can only speak to me. You know, if, if all of us are going to God's word, there's a good chance, there should be at least the good chance that all of us are hearing something. And you're going to get things that I'm not going to get. And I think it'd be beneficial for all of us if, you know, we could hear a little bit of maybe what God is speaking to you. So, I just want to give a few minutes here. Is there anybody who got anything? Right. Be a good thing to listen to the another plug. Listen to the iTunes thing last from last week. I did go over that to a point, um, but yeah. And if you look at verses, um, the first few verses there, verses three through fourteen, and in, in chapter one, he really dives into that whole idea of being chosen. You know, and the difficulty in discussing something like that is there's this huge dividing line between the um, idea of predestination versus the will of free will of man, you know, and um, I discussed that again last week a little bit, but I guess just to hit on it briefly, that the difficulty is both sides are very biblical. And because of that, it's hard to really say well this side is absolutely heretical and this side is absolutely from God my personal I didn't share this last week my personal belief is that because it's biblical on both sides I don't think we can stand with much confidence to say one or the other I think that there is a within the dynamics of God's sovereignty and his will, there is some kind of cosmic mix of the two that we just, we can't really fully understand. Uh, to a point, to a point, I think, I think the thing we need to pull away from it is this, God chose us. Now, if he chose us and only those of us who he really chose are going to come to him, or if he chose us in the knowledge that we would accept him, I don't think it really matters as much as we just need to hold on to the fact that he chose us. That if we've accepted him as our Lord, we need to recognize he chose us. Right. 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 And, that, and that's kind of the free will um, side of it. That, you know, there's, in the Bible there's the concept, and I don't think we'll get into it into Ephesians. I need to check that, but I'm pretty sure it's not in Ephesians. The, but the biblical concept of foreknowledge. It says, those he also foreknew, he predestined. 
and so there's there's definitely room there for that belief that God knew we would chose, choose him that that he put out grace to everyone but he knew who would choose him and through that he then called us and you know through through his foreknowledge of our choice so again it's <laughs> it's really tricky again some deep theological stuff that you're kind of going okay you know but at the end of the day really neither side will make you disqualified from heaven so it's kind of you know and I, I said last week God's not sitting up there at the pearly gates asking you know were you a Calvinist or were you Arminius were you for my free will or were you for predestination and if you answer it wrong he's just sitting there waiting to flick you you know out of heaven I mean it's I think the thing we need to take away is just be excited that God did choose us so I think Obviously, if, if we're living like we have hope, we should be we should be creating a craving in other people because there is so much desperation in this world. There is so much of people just they want hope, but they they're looking in the wrong places. And if if they can see people living their lives in a way where you exude hope from your life, there there should be. A line of people coming to you saying, "Why? Why are you so hopeful? Why, you know?" And so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, because what happens is you come to the pinnacle of what you thought would make you happy, and it's not there. You know, you you thought, you know, if I, you know, after I make a million dollars, I'll really be happy. And then, I, I never had this problem, but <laughs> you make the million dollars and you're at the end of it going, that, it didn't. It, it's nice, but what you'll find with people who have lots of money is they also, their their problems multiply. Because all of a sudden you've got to manage that well. Because if you don't manage it well, I think, I, I don't want to lie to you, so I'm not going to give you any made-up statistics, but I will say I know for certain it's over 50% of people who win the lottery file bankruptcy within 10 years. They, they're buying that ticket in hopes that this ticket, this, you know, this million dollars, this $33 billion, whatever those outrageous numbers get up to, this is going to change my life. Well, it does. Just not in the way they wanted it to, you know, and they don't... You know, the thing is, if you can't manage the little you have, you're going to get a lot and it's going to ruin you. Hopelessness, hopelessness can exist on so many different levels in ways that we would never even imagine. That's, that's why I think it's so important that we who have hope need to walk wisely because you never know who's watching you. You never know who's casually observing your life. And that except by the fact that you're living a life where you exude hope. They would never look at you, but they see that hope, and eventually there can come the time where you can, you can give a reason for the hope that's in you. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for the fact that you are a God who loves us with a desperate 
compassionate love and that you have overwhelmed us with your grace and you have you have done so many things and I pray that tonight that as we've looked at what your word contains in it I just I pray that we would become people who know you better that the knowledge of you would begin to change our lives would begin to shape our lives I pray that we would be people who truly do understand hope that we would not allow circumstances to dictate our the way we look at things that we would not allow the way people treat us to dictate how we're going to treat them back but that we would allow your hope to season everything and the fact that you are God who rewards those who believe in you, who hope in you, that we'd really begin to understand hope. That we'd be people who understand your power. That we could walk in it and we could see that authority fulfilled through that. And finally, God, I pray that we would be people who walk in your authority. That we'd walk under the authority of Christ, knowing that if we place our hands in, in your hands, if we allow you to have dominion over all of our lives, that if we would make you Lord of all things, then you will work all things to benefit us, your church. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for what you've done in our lives, and we thank you for what you have in store. And we pray all of these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen.